0: podcast. see something really scary? You bet. Music. Horror. horror, Art. Politics. And overall badass. Welcome to Kettle Whistle Radio. For real. On Society 13 Networks.
1: better to throw up instead of fill up, unless you're filling up to throw up. How do you feel about that?
2: I don't know how I feel about that. Hey,
1: welcome to 100 episodes. So, did they find the truth in this?
2: I don't know. What's this about them? Why is he missing I, He just hasn't been spotted in days, and he's putting things up on his Facebook, or oh, I don't really? know. Oh,
1: so it could be his PR person that's doing that. Um so welcome to Kettle whistle radio and this is our 100th episode. We have nothing to tell and much that has happened. Um and honestly uh the whole Richard Simmons thing I did a little thing on on, on the Twitterverse, you know, uh that his disappearance is somehow attributed to them landing a probe on a comet. Um <laughs> and I think there's a connection. Oh Alien life forms. Moving on, uh, Charlie Manson was in the news. And yes, he was. He just doesn't die. That's well, that's the big news. Yeah, still, still kicking. The bigger news is,
2: um, so he's getting married. Some young chickie is.
1: Is her name Miss D?
2: Ew, never. I don't know what this lady's name is. Um, Some young chickie is going to... They put in a petition and she's going to marry him because that's got to be romantic. Yeah.
1: Really, though? Was it like some little goth chick that wants attention?
2: I didn't see a picture, but apparently they both have uh, the exes uh, scraped into their foreheads or tattooed or whatever the heck that is going on there. Okay. Sad, sad days when people like that can...
1: Are allowed to get married. Uh, no offense to goth chicks. I love goth chicks, but I mean, <laughs> there are some that just scream for attention when they go and decide that they're going. Well, uh, let, let's marry Charlie Manson because it's yeah. it's so scary. <laughs> yeah, uh, not
2: a good idea. Not
1: a good idea. So, in the world of uh, writing and books. Burning Bowl Publishing has a huge thing coming out right now, okay? It's, well, it's in the process of, there's some things that have to come together, like authors signing their docu-signs, as well as a cover being designed. But myself and Nelson Piles, the author, and also the Society 13, and the man behind the Wicked Library, are involved with Rise of the Dead, okay? Are you familiar with, you by now you have to know what Rise of the Dead is, this anthology coming out. From I, I do
2: know what Rise of the Dead is.
1: Yes, just once again, proud to be in the same work with John Russo, the writer of the original Night of the Living Dead, of course, in Return of the Living Dead. And this man has 12, uh, 12, 20 books out. He he tours with Gary Vincent with Burning Ball Publishing. His fans are numerous and and he still gets... The women. The women come for John Russo. <laughs> they come to his table. They I've bypass. seen this in person. Yes, they bypass. It doesn't matter if you're a young buck. You're done if John Russo is in the house. He just so, has that Russo charm. Done. You are absolutely done. But Rise of the Dead takes place in the same timeline as Night of the Living Dead. And it's an anthology, and there's some heavy hitters in here, and I'm not talking about me. Um, <laughs> but um, my story was kind of nifty. Uh, I'll give it nifty. And it's it, pretty nifty. It has to take place in the timeline of Night of the Living Dead, which was uh, 67 to 69, I believe, was the timeline they gave us to work with. Um, speaking of Charlie Manson. Exactly. Exactly. So, anyway, that's that, Rise of the Dead, coming in December from what I I understand, Burning Bowl Press. with Press. Me and Nelson, Ooh, it's a you curse. Did it. Gary knows that we say it. It's Burning Bowl Publishing. Okay? Burning Bowl Publishing. www.burningbowlpublishing.com. Take it. Take a look at that site, dude. There's a lot of good writers there, dudes. I should say. Um, Godflesh has a new album out. That makes me happy. Not too many other people. I don't care. Justin Broderick is a genius. And if you want to write scary, scary stuff, I almost said scary shit. If you want to write scary shit, listen to Godflesh. All right, it's the most ambient gothic. Somewhat, I want to say industrial, but it's metal, and it's just the best stuff to write. I mean, it, it's like you are basically writing. If Frankenstein was alive today, he'd be playing Godflesh in his laboratory. Oh, yes, and the new album is just amazing. I love it, and that's all there is to it. Uh, now it's time for thank yous. Being a hundred episodes, one hundred episodes. I want to thank Christopher Walking. For Christopher Walken has been stalking us. I love that. That's fantastic. You'll be hearing from him later, I think. Um, thank you to the Razorblade Dolls. Yes, they are defunct right now, but they're not done. Because Scarloff Razorblade, or now Scarloff Carpenter, has a new band that's coming together. And we're going to be playing some of his stuff later. But they were responsible for the first intro to Kettle Whistle Radio. And they let us play their stuff. And, of course, they were the soundtrack to Carrie Hill's Scream Park. And... Of course, we have Carrie Hill here tonight. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. One of our first guests ever. One of them.
2: One of them. Not the first. No, not the first.
1: I kind of alluded to him that he was the first, but we had a musical guest before that too, Wings of Armor.
2: Wow. What's with
1: yeah? Is that a problem? Yeah. No, it's a problem. It's going to be a problem (laughs) for Carrie because he thinks he was the first. And it is my fault. He was our first actual third rail guest meeting. He sat on the third rail and got interviewed as a director. Um, But, you know, we we found Wings of Armor. That's what I was like, whoa, for. I didn't want to jump in there. (laughs) Yeah, death death to me. Wings for Armor. Great band that we saw at John Towers' book release party. That was the beginning of it. And uh, Wings for Armor. Murph, yes. Murph and Christy Drummer just fantastic musicians they have new stuff coming you'll hear from them soon I gotta thank them I have to thank Eddie Ed, Ed McCarron for our artwork for our, the wonderful artwork for our show uh, John Young of D Factor for the music that you hear in the background a lot of the times and honestly um, there's just so many other people I, I, I can't even begin where do you begin? you end that's where you, you end um, let's talk about Mark Hamill's beard
2: do we have to? This seems to be like a, a, a big point of conversation for you. Mark Hamill's beard. I'd like to thank Mark Hamill's beard.
1: <laughs> or I have something out there that, <laughs> that I'm going to be doing in lieu of the new Star Wars movie coming out.
2: Oh, okay.
1: You don't remember. Oh, I want to no. see if there are any takers that I would no. starting January 1st that I would grow my beard a Jedi beard until the release of the movie there was one taker my buddy Dave Barsky thank God I knew that he would well anyway
2: you digress and yeah let's let's not do the Mark Hamill beard it, it wasn't attractive
1: and I also said wings of armor so that's, yeah uh, kind just... of like in the doghouse anyway uh, let's see here okay the amazing Bonnaroo Bono <laughs> <laughs> oh Bono poor poor Bono we think that um, Bono is being sabotaged by Sinead O'Connor um
2: Yes, of, of shaved head, ripping up pictures of the poop uh, fame.
1: But uh, he, uh, she, yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, no, see, Here you know what? Again. That wasn't a faux pas, I don't think. <laughs> he, she, um, who compared <laughs> Bono to a terrorist. Why?
2: Why? Because he, oh, the U2 album it was downloaded onto ipods without people force
1: fed download
2: without people knowing it just kind of automatically downloaded it was some deal they had but apparently act of terrorism that's an
1: act of terrorism on your itunes account <laughs> shut up Sinead.
2: oh god you know and and how is she sabotaging bono how, you,
1: how is she relevant
2: that's true oh, uh,
1: But, you know, here we go again. You know, she stuck the spokes and the spikes of his bicycle (laughs) in Central Park, I hear. Not only that, she put that booby trap on the door to his airplane.
2: Yeah. Boom! Tried to suck him right out of the air.
1: She's out to get Bono.
2: Bono's not having a good week.
1: And I have a feeling we have a jump on that on South Park. I think we just wrote the script. Oh, Yeah. Um, all right, movies. Uh, let's get. We always have to give up some movies here. The Possession of Michael King was an excellent movie introduced to me. Um, actually, it was at the horror panel at Rickard and Beagle Books where Tim Gross was talking to me about it. The Possession of Michael King, good found footage movie, but different. A guy filming his own possession, and yeah, and uh, the studio is now collapsing. <laughs> it's even better than I thought. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. I think
2: that was just Sh- yeah. Sinead O'Connor <laughs> sabotaging our studio. <laughs> Listen, lady, back off.
1: Yeah, All right. So, moving on. What did you think of the possession of Michael King? I think that was an excellent. Um, very creepy. Oh, I. You're pulling a tatty on me. No,
2: no. Uh, um, it, it was creepy. There were some really good effects where. You had to rewind. Did I just see something in the shadows? Did I just see something? There were a few scenes where something was coming up the hall and you kind of missed it, but you saw it out of the corner of your eye. So that was kind of, yeah, that was pretty
1: terrifying. Movie, yeah. Movie. <laughs> I, I liked it. I liked it. Pretty um, creepy. I also liked, along the same lines, the taking of Dorothy Hamill. I mean, I'm sorry. No, actually it's Deborah Logan. I can never what remember that. What is with that? you
2: and Hamill's? Now you, ooh, you can have a Mark Hamill beard and a Dorothy Hamill hairdo. That would be very.
1: Good w- thing I grew my hair just now because I kind of, I can resemble <laughs> Dorothy Hamill. Um, anyway. I'll get to uh, some ice skates. So, yeah, anyway, the taking of Dorothy Hamill. <laughs> Deborah Logan. It was, uh, somebody on Twitter said I should watch it and I watched it that very night just because I love a challenge. And it is creepy. It's a creepy take, um, on the, uh, subject of Alzheimer's, which, is something I, I would rather not watch or talk about, but they go a different route with it and um, it was a very creepy movie. Uh it's not as good as the possession of Michael King though. But no, it was damn okay. good. It was good. Um I should mention, you know, uh we're missing one of our members here of course. Uh Miss H T is busy with the glowworms, her band. Woohoo Yeah, we're supposed Glowing to be a bit
2: stages up stages the tri the tri-state <area.
1: laughs> kind of Uh, We're supposed to hear some stuff from her at some point, but the funniest reaction ever was, she's just like, well, we're just kind of like not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I I think right now it's actually band practice night. So she is, yeah.
2: Oh, well, you you don't mess with band practice night. I
1: think it's funny. Uh, Anyway, so moving on. Uh, Let's see. As for favorite episodes through the years, uh, there were so many for me. And um, there's just so many honors that I have. I feel
2: like, I, like sentimental 70s music should be playing in the background you know, right well, now. Yeah,
1: got to get the rights to that unless it's like, get, you get know. Get some
2: Ann Murray kicking.
1: Well, probably could get the rights to that. <laughs> um, I, I have to personally, have any, having uh, Anthony shirak of The Final Cut on and Full Effect Records, that was a personal, one of my personal favorites because I have been an admirer of his music and I just, I love the dude. I think he's great. He writes incredible music. And he had so much hardship in some of the worst times for music and trying to make money with music. Um, he's in it for the heart. And his, uh, the final cut is still one of my favorite bands of all time. And Full Effect Records, let's face it, I got to play Faster Pussycat on this show. And that goes back to the 80s, man. And, you know, that's fantastic. <laughs> it I, can play a, I got to play a mainstream, a passe 80s heavy metal hairband act. That still is relevant and I love Faster Pussycat. And um I gotta thank Anthony Schrock for that. But mostly I love listening to the final cut and talking to him was great. it's almost like talking that's the music side and then Carrie Hill is the movie side. Mm-hmm. You know, totally insightful. These people are very, very um, influential for me. Uh favorite episode, moment?
2: In the last one hundred? Can it yeah. be anything or is it the uh, past yeah, year? I want,
1: name a piece from each each show.
2: Oh, <laughs> Hey, no, I, I alphabetized them. Um, actually, I think my favorite was having chris on. chris o <laughs> I love the Chris-O-Matic show, and we got to be on the Chris-O-Matic show, and um, I, I got to... I got to talk to Cardboardosaurus.
1: You got to. Sweet! You actually dressed up like a Cardboardosaurus female version, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. did because it yeah. was a Halloween yeah. episode. Well, he has been year. the same since, so best watch yourself. Ruined the character. But oh, yeah, no. that was a good episode. Chris is great, and I love being on the Chris show. And the
2: O'Matics are fantastic. Guys, you
1: got to check. If you, if you like Pee Wee Herman, check out the Chris show because it is. Pee Wee Herman it's a web series this guy is hilarious and what he does with stop motion
2: amazing amazing the (laughs) time it must take
1: I'm still laughing at the Lego chips episode (laughs) I can't even handle it I can't even handle it very cool Um, let's see I've got to say anytime John Russo is on I have a great episode because he kills me Um, I love listening to him talk I have actually been um, uh, hypnotized by him talking and I forget to reply or I I don't even know what to say next so I just let him go Uh, The Guar Fest episode was hysterical, and we did that at uh, one of the shows we did this year. That was fantastic. Looks like you have some input there.
2: Oh, um, the Days of the Dead in Indianapolis. That
1: was one, that's on my list. Yeah. Favorite. Days of the Dead in Indianapolis. Gee, why was it one of your favorites? Because
2: I got to meet Bill Mosley. It was that. awesome.
1: We spent an afternoon with Bill Mosley and he <laughs> was like hanging out with a big kid. It was fantastic. It was hysterical. It was a yeah, lot of fun. He was throwing shit at Tom Savini and then he's playing, uh, what, th- th- those kids were playing hacky sack. And he stole their hacky sack and he, he sat in Ms. D's chair next to me in the convention waiting for her to come back, screamed her name across the entire convention. <laughs> uh, then he's playing his music for me, the corn bugs, which we're allowed to play Yes, he's, the and corn bugs. Spider Mountain is next. We're going to be playing some, uh, definitely some Bill Mosley. Uh, that was one of my favorite times. Yeah, it was just a but, really
2: great weekend. There were a lot of really cool people that we met. We met, uh, Charles there.
1: Charles, yeah,
2: Moran. Charles yeah. Moran,
1: yeah. Uh, oh, yeah! What a great artist. Yeah. Look up Charles Moran on my Facebook page, man. Um, I'm telling you right now, that's a guy you want to meet.
2: Just a lot of fun.
1: He does great horror um, uh, prints, just fantastic. But also, to that same day, I got to interview Ann Bobby, who is lovely, more lovely in person than she is, and she seems petite when you watch Nightbreed. She's actually, I mean, she's pretty tall. She wasn't like a like little. She. Very good shape, wonderful, wonderful, beautiful woman, and the interview was amazing. If you want to go back, go back to Days of the Dead, um, on Kettle Whistle Radio. Listen to Bill Mosley and the Ann Bobby interview, and the new, and that's very relevant, because the new Nightbreed is out, and it's expensive, yes, folks. I know <laughs> whose Christmas
2: list that's on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. But they, the actors were all there, and they all could not stop talking about this director's cut of Nightbreed. Yes. That was absolutely on my list here. Um, recently, having Peter, well, I shouldn't say Peter, because that's not his name. Thomas Swetterlich.
2: <laughs> wow, what's with you today? <laughs>
1: because he has a hundred. Because, have... because that was, well, you'll see why I said Peter. But recently, Thomas Swetterlich, author of Tomorrow and Tomorrow, Pittsburgh author. Fantastic. That was a great episode. That was very recent. I really, I enjoyed his company. Yeah, not uh, yeah. long ago. thank my, my friend Paul Worgelin for that one. But Thomas Sweaterlich, guys, I'm telling you, check him out. Check out Tomorrow and Tomorrow, especially if you're from Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh is non-existent anymore. It gets decimated in the first couple of pages of that book.
2: I know. I'm only, uh, I'm just a little way in, so don't tell anymore. Fantastic book. I don't want to know. I want to read it. There's
1: so much going on there. But the reason I said Peter, um, before that, I Peter
2: Vincent, vampire slayer. Uh,
1: you could say that, but he's, he hasn't now? been here yet. No, no. Yeah, yeah. But so. Peter Destefano.
2: Oh yeah, we yeah.
1: had Peter De Stefano from Pornos for Pyros yes. on on here. Yes, and we played three of his songs. We had a great interview. That was a long interview, and he was a yeah. very funny, very witty, very nice, sweet guy. Yeah, we had a very great, funny. But uh, tell me, come on, you were a little... Smithy. Oh, of course, you and he Taddy. played
2: with Pornos for Pyros. He gets to uh he, he plays at Lollapalooza frequently. Awesome.
1: You and Taddy were a little bit smitten. A little bit. Just a little bit. we got to thank our friend Jennifer Baladol for introducing us to that. She has a
2: wonderful boutique. Yeah. um,
1: Absolutely. In Pittsburgh. Yes. But, yeah, I I mean, that comes down to it. Other than that, i uh, got to say, when I have Eric uh, from 16 Volt on, which he's been on the show twice. He was one of our first earlier guests. Love having him on. Love 16 Volt's music. And I also have another favorite I'm going to say before we... uh, Get into our Carrie Hill interview of of Scream Park and other things coming up. Um, Montauk Monsters.
2: Oh, my gosh. Montauk Monsters. That was a fun episode. A, because we were in Montauk, which is one of our favorite places to visit. And at (laughs) night on the beach. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it there.
1: That was a great episode, man. Don't um,
2: go run into Montauk. It's our place. We got Back in,
1: off. got into the mythos of Montauk, and there's a lot going on there. Yes. Um, and so many bands. Too many bands to tell. Um, some favorites were playing tonight, and uh, pers- it's personal for me. Uh, you're going to be hearing sh- very shortly Three Quarters Dead. The song is Enemy. Later on, uh, the, a new release from Ex-Prophet. The guys from Society 13, Nelson Piles and Anthony Rousick great album that's coming out there just finishing that up and we'll probably close the show with the final cut just because I've been talking about them so much and the song is it's it comes to I picked it comes to because that is actually one of my favorite songs of all time and um, it's just a great song that I got to talk to the maker with Anthony Schrock I had to actually ask the guy you know where these songs come from and that's you know if you're a fan that's all you could ever ask for what do you got before we close out we get into Carrie Hill but for, oh, of course first we're gonna get into three quarters dead. But what do I have? What do you got? Mmm. Jeez.
2: You got nothing. You got I nothing. got nothing. I got nothing. You put me on the spot. Well, here's to 100 more episodes.
1: Oh, yes. Happy 100. Happy 100. Happy 100. 100. Fantastic. All right, Miss All right. Know. And, uh, yeah. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Good night. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. All right. Here's three quarters dead.
3: Amazing! Um, this is Merck here from Wings for Armor. Again, congratulations on the 100th episode. I feel very privileged that we were your first guests on the show. And I might add that uh, you guys are still the only podcast that we've ever done still. So just throwing that out there. Um, we have a new album coming up with new tunes. We have new merch. We have new shows and venues that we've been playing at and are going to continue to play at. We have all... We're going to have new videos. We have all sorts of new stuff underway. Lately, we've been recording the new album. Just the other day, Christy and I were recording a can of unpopped popcorn in um, in place of maracas in a track. Just... Uh, just some of the things that happened in the wings for Armor studio over here but we have some awesome stuff going on and um, we can't wait to be on your show again hang out with you guys and uh, again congratulations we will see you at the rock show
0: I wanted to congratulate you on your 100th episode but listen to me
1: it needs more cowbell. Here we are, Metal Whistle Radio, episode 100. I couldn't think of a better guest to have a 100 because he was one of our first guests um, outside of in-house people. I've got the one and only Screen Park, Carrie Hill. Wow. Welcome back, sir. Was I really one of the first? You were one of the first, yeah, for Kettle Whistle Radio. We did Red Horse Radio for a while, but uh, then we got our own show, me and Heather, and we incorporated Miss D into the show, and we are 100 episodes in. You were, I believe, episode five. We didn't do guests in the first four. Wow! <laughs> and I didn't even know it was episode 100 until like five minutes ago. Five minutes ago, yes. And you got to hear one of the bands that we play a lot to, uh, uh, Three Quarters Dead, The Enemy is a Song. Uh, what did you think of that?
4: I liked it. Like I said, I mean, what we were talking while I was playing, it just it reminded me of, of kind of a late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. Slipknot, Mudvayne-type deal. With,
1: These guys, yeah, and they're, they're, they're into that. They're into all they're the Black Label Society, too. That oh,
4: that, that totally fits right in with it. Absolutely. But we're talking music. Uh,
1: yeah, I guess, I want to know, what's on your Pandora? You were talking about, <laughs> I always got to know what people are listening to.
4: My Pandora is, eclectic doesn't even begin to describe what's going on with You're, me, you're in the Pandora. right place. You're I, in the right place. I probably have thirty Pandora channels that I just toggled between. Uh, on the way over it was Queens And I, as I was telling you, like I have this Queens Pandora station and it only plays <laughs> it only plays Megadeth and Rat. And just it only plays those three bands, which is fine. It's exactly you know when I click on right radio, that's what I want to listen to. Megadeth is one of my favorites, though. So. It's, it's got to be I,
1: the first three albums, but you know what? He keeps dishing them out, man. Dave Mustaine just keeps
4: putting them out. You want to know what my favorite Megadeth album is? It's going to blow your mind. I don't think so. But go, no, nope. Euthanasia. That's a great is, album. Is a great Train of Consequences album. Yeah, fantastic. Um, oh man, Reckoning Day. I mean, Asian Fields, right? Yeah. is that on there? Uh, Thought I knew it all. It's, a, yeah. that is a fantastic album, and it was kind yep. of like you know. One of their that you're right. That's
1: an less old. heralded album. I agree because it was at the tail end of the the metal thing before Ozfest kicked it back in again. Yeah, it was like MTV mid- was dying, movies. right? Yeah. yeah, and MTV was all grunge at that point. Not that grunge is bad, but the old school metal was kind of going by the wayside. Yeah, very yeah, nice one. That's one of my favorites. So Carrie Hill, is there life after Screen Park? What happened after Screen Park? And, and the buzz went away, filtered, and then came back again in waves.
4: Well, it. It, it, waves is exactly the way to describe it. We last week um we were actually selected for a UK horror film festival. And so the film we finished up, you know, over a year ago, our our big premiere in Pittsburgh was January 2014. I think it was. Yeah. Um and we released in April on DVD and everything. And it was kind of just sort of that Emptiness that follows it. Okay, it's out. It's available. People are buying We're talking about it. Reviews are in, and silence. And everybody disperses and does their own thing again. Yeah, and, you know, and the cast and crew kind of go off and do their own sorts of things. And a week ago, I find out that um, this is going to be on this UK horror film festival called the Horror on Sea. More on, oh, that's More what that was. Yeah, film uh, festival. Okay, uh,
1: yeah. What? A, it's an odd thing to say. It's British. Yeah, that explains it. No, uh, <laughs> no but, offense to my British listeners. Yeah.
4: We have them. We have them. Um, but it's our first venture out of the country for festivals and stuff like that. So I'm really excited. And you know, I took a look at their slate of films, and I think Screen Park just fits right in with the rest of it. So, yep. And it's wild, because we were big in the UK from the very, very beginning. They, I guess, they like that. Like we talked about that because um, uh, the '80s American slasher the 80s, films, and, and when Doug got attached, Doug
1: Kinhead Bradley for all your novices,
4: the uh, the Twitter following went crazy, and I think that in the late late 2011, early 2012, the vast majority of our Twitter followers for the film were in the UK.
0: Mm.
4: So That's it's cool that it's finally going to you know land on their shores, and they get to check it out. So.
1: That's cool Now, um, I guess, let's see, I ran into you, it was May, we are now in November Wow, already Where does the time go? I don't know, but that was May 2014 uh, You were at my book release party, which was really cool to it see It was cool yeah, It was a good day, that was a fun day, I couldn't believe the amount of people that showed up that Oh was, my god, it was booming That was nice, that I saw it bar was completely invaded I sold out, yeah, it's someone else's bar, my friend Elsa Yeah, that was a good time, that was a good time I, I saw you there um, you were talking about writing. You were doing a lot
4: of writing. At yeah, that I, it's weird. I um, when you when you finish a film, and I, you know, I'm one in, but when you finish it, there's just sort of this regroup period where you just kind of collapse and you shut down. And It's like wow, because it takes two years to put the whole thing together. Um, so you kind of shut down, you regroup, and then you come out of it and you're like, okay, well, what's next? And it was actually a period of like three months where I had no idea. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna make another film now what? Mm. Right, because you go into it and you know, you know. I had written Screen Park, I was like, All right, I'm like, alright, I'm going to do this low budget horror film because that's, that's a great way to start out, you know, da da da, and so it's like, well, what the heck do you do for a follow up? What do you do for an encore? What do you do for a second film? Yeah. So I started writing Um and I actually came out of the summer with two different scripts, completely different, but one of them was a sequel. Awesome. Um And that kind of just got finished up um, and the other film is, is, I would love to do. It's a passion project, but it's not a horror film. So I don't know, does that fit into this yeah, show? Yeah, absolutely.
1: No, it's one of my questions. <laughs> Oh, we cross over everywhere, and the music we play, it's ridiculous how many different genres and what we'll play. People think we just play industrial, just metal, but, I I mean, we've slipped some crazy things in here now and then, which you'll probably hear in this episode, who knows. But, um, yeah, genre jumping is fantastic, so you may as well tell
4: us now. Tell you now. So, (laughs) you know, you can wait till the end of the show. No, it's fine. (laughs) I mean, we'll, we'll get into the horror stuff and everything like that. I'm a big horror fan. I mean, I didn't make a horror film just because that's what novice filmmakers with no money do. A lot of them do, but, I mean, I am a, a horror fan, but um You are right, they, no, they all, no, everybody has their first horror film. I mean, whether acting or directing, I think they all started this horror. It's true, And film. you know, there's a great quote by John Sayles, mm-hmm. one of my idols, you know, who has lived in the independent film arena, and basically he said that, you know, you see so many first time filmmakers make a movie about a bunch of kids in a house being killed by a mass killer and the reason is is because it, it doesn't require a budget it doesn't require real actors or or name actors um or you know all sorts of hollywood type effects and all that kind of stuff so you see a lot of people do this and it's crazy cuz even like you know the weinstein brothers who are some of the biggest producers in the world for films their very first film was this little nineteen eighty film called The Burning. Oh, that is one of my all-time favorite. Yeah. It's a go-to slasher. Oh we my we God. may
1: have talked about that the first time your first time George around. George
4: Costanza is in it. Uh, George and Costanza, and yeah, and uh,
1: what's his name that plays? Woodstock. Um Silver, Ron Silver. Yep. Right? Yeah, he plays a skinny little kid. Well he was a skinny little kid. But yeah, but that was a creepy what about we, we talked about this, the rap scene.
4: Oh, cutting fingers off.
1: But not just that killing off eight characters in one fatal
4: swoop. And it's weird because, you know... They weren't minor characters. Right. You have one scene, you know, spoiler alert, one scene where you get a bunch of people off, and then not everybody dies. I remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, yeah, this is good. I love it. I loved everything about this. And then it's like, wait a minute, there's like five people left. And then it ended, and I was like, wait... (laughs) It's <laughs> not supposed to go like this. It's not,
1: and even there's even a little maze at the end that, like, what was it, an old like abandoned fort? that They're running through, and then they're being chased by the killer. Yeah, remember that in the woods. But um, yeah, what a great story of Cropsy. There's a documentary on Netflix now, which I'm wondering if that's where they got. I'm thinking, yeah. I don't know. I have to watch it. It's an urban legend in New York, and actually on uh, Staten Staten Island, where abandoned buildings, the the ghost of Cropsy who killed it was a child murderer. He was, actually wasn't a ghost. There was a ghost later, of course, but they never confirmed him dead or alive. I don't think. But the, it was it made the news where kids were disappearing, and that movie came out like soon after. So and that was the. The killer's name. I, I do your research on
4: that one. It's All interesting. Right.
1: Yeah, but the burning old favorite. But, old favorite.
4: I mean, that's the Weinstein brothers, right? And Savini, Bob too. and Harvey Weinstein. Savini did the effects, and then now they're these huge producers. So, you know, and I, I saw an article online that a lot of people get their start. You know, Johnny Depp and, and Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know, the list goes on and on and on. So, it's a great place to start. You know, but when I went into it after the, after, when I started writing again after the film was over and everything like that. Um, I had taken an, a story that actually was a true story that I had read about. Even better, um, and, it, and it's it's wild. Nobody seems to know about it, which is crazy. It's a true story; it really happened. And it's um, it's the tale of this little town in the south. It's 1946. This little town in Tennessee, and um, while all of their young boys were out fighting overseas during the Second World War, this corrupt sheriff had moved in and taken over the town. And, you know, while these, these 19, 20, 21-year-olds were off fighting, these sheriffs were brutalizing their family and extorting them for money. And they basically took control of, of uh, eastern Tennessee with an iron fist. And you know
1: people might wonder how that happened and you think about it in terms today, there was no social media, there was no Twitter, there was no cell phones. Yeah. Things like that could get could go under
4: wraps and in hiding for months out years. yeah, I mean without anybody ever finding out. the town's small. I mean, ten thousand people and um, kind of cut off from the world. but these these kids came home and they saw what was happening. So what happened was is they formed a political party. the, the sheriff's election was coming up. At the end of the summer, and they formed a a political party, and they said, "Look, we we're going to go about doing the American thing, and and we're going to vote, and we're going to form a party, and we're going to run against you because we don't want you to do this anymore, right? We don't want you to abuse and extort, and and it was bad. I mean, there were deaths involved, and they were basically compared to the Gestapo, the Mm -hmm. sheriff and his deputies. Um, Long story short, election day rolled around." And the sheriff rigged the election. He, they brought in 200 armed deputies and criminals from neighboring counties, from their crony buddies. Mm. They brought all these guys in, put them out on the streets with guns, and sort of just put the fear of God into everybody on the streets. You know, and they proceeded to pull all their old tricks of you know using marked ballots and having people come in and vote five, six, seven times for their for their guy and everything like that. And it kind of hit a point where um, a black guy went to vote. Uh, and he was actually shot by one of the deputies oh. attempting to vote. Damn. And then the, the deputy said, all right, that's it. The sheriff was like, that's it. Voting's over. We're done. We're closing the polls. And they took back all the ballot boxes to the jail for safe counting. Oh. So all of these kids that had come back from the war, um, you know, weren't, weren't having it. And so there was a small group of them that actually broke into the local National Guard armory, armed themselves, and they stormed the town. To get these ballot boxes back and stop the sheriff. I mean, they, they had seen it as a last-ditch effort to win back their town because if they lost this election, these guys weren't going away. And they were—they had lists that they were going to round up these kids the next morning and get rid of them. So these guys were like, okay, this is it. This is the last stand. So they armed themselves, and they actually stormed back the town, and this firefight broke out for a day between 200 armed deputies and a bunch of World War II vets.
0: Oh, my God.
4: Um, wow. And it got so out of control that the the Tennessee governor was going to send the National Guard down and they were going to intervene. And this is where, you know, you get he said, she said, and Mm. and the media didn't cover it very well. And, you know, it's one of those stories that you don't really hear about. But basically it crescendoed when the G.I.s blew the front of the jail open with dynamite and stormed it. Um, and they won. They actually ended up. They got the ballot boxes back. You know there were arrests. They they rounded up people. But what happened was is that the town revolted. After it, they said, okay, these these guys are fighting all these sheriff, the sheriff and his men. They abused us for five years, and they just lost it. And this revolt broke out. They were flipping over cars, and they started stringing up people. They were they were, they had nooses, and they they set up makeshift gallows, and they were going to start hanging all of the sheriff and his men. The oh. GIs were like they had to intervene again, and they had to stop it. So. They just spent a day in open combat against these guys. And they had to turn around and protect them because the townspeople were going to start murdering people left and right out of revenge. How many were gunned down, though, during that? It was violent. Um, uh, it was violent. I mean, it, it goes back and forth into you know how many injuries there were, how many casualties. There was, the, there was a small hospital with one doctor, and bodies were just filling up in this little hospital because they were wounded from both sides being taken to it. Oh, man. Um, so it's kind of like Black Hawk Down in a small southern town in yeah. 1946. But, How insane. Uh, wow. But, I mean, ultimately, good prevailed. Um, it's kind of funny. They dragged all the ballot boxes back out into the street and the sheriff, and they counted the, the the ballots in front of the whole town, and the G.I. still won. Even with all the ballot box manipulation, with all the cheating, with all the crookedness, they still won, but, you know, they had to take up arms to do it. Anyway, so it, it, it was an awesome story And I found it in history books I was like Man how's there never been a movie Like this So well, I actually Swept so, under the carpet For many well, reasons I guess know, But yeah Now well, One of the things actually That happened, sadly I think that is um, The parties that were booted out By the, the mm. veterans Actually took control Years later And they sort of Wiped it from the history books But I wrote a script about it um, And it's called The Battle of Athens And it's based on this True historic event And And um, I think, I think it'd make a killer movie. The problem is, is that, you know, it's set in 46. Mm. There's, you know, combat. <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: And it, everything. I just think it'd be really expensive. So the other script that I wrote over the summer was a sequel to Scream Park It can oh. be done on on a lower budget. I put a teaser um, out about think, that, uh, what we'd be talking about tonight. Yeah, so, so we can, I mean, y- you can pick away at my brain and, and I may give things up. I may not. Um, I don't want to give up too much. Well, but um, it's,
1: yeah, of course. You don't want to give up too much. Uh, how much time elapsed between movies, between Screen Park 1 and 2? Two? two years. Okay. Okay, that's important. Um, two years. Well, so let's, oh, you know, I have a really big question for you. I'm going to save that. No, I'm going to wait on that one. Um, do you prefer, I, I have to know
4: this, do you prefer the writing or the directing process after you've done both? Um, they're very, very different. The writing process you, you do alone. You lock yourself in a room, you put on music, or whatever you do, and it's just sort of like it's you and all of your demons yeah. for months or however long it takes to write. When you're yeah. directing, it's much more like, you know, commanding a, a military unit. You know, you've, got to, you've yeah. got to stay on top. People have to get things done, and it's just very different. Coach,
1: it, cheerleader, hands-on. Yeah, everything. you know,
4: damage control, no, damage control. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But... Um, the writing is cool, but I really like the directing part of it because you're seeing it come alive. You know, when you write it and you have this, you know, stack of a hundred or so pieces of paper, you have a story, you have everything, and it's it could be anything. You know, sky's the limit because yeah. you yeah. haven't cast anybody, you haven't done anything yet. You know, endless possibilities. When you're directing it, though, you know, you've locked in your actors, you've locked in your crew, and it's happening, but it's coming alive. And just you know. The process of watching it become words to it actually happening, and then you go back and you look at the footage, and you're like, wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it is power. power. Yeah, but you, we were just talking, you know, off off the mics earlier, just, uh, you have something done, and, you know, and it's good, and I've watched it, I don't know, six to seven times. Oh, no way. And you see, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you see something different every time. I did catch some things, and um, <laughs> but you enjoy the characters, and you enjoy, if you're a nostalgist like I am, um, and you grew up in the 80s, unlike you, you sort of did. Um, but I was a teenager in the 80s. You captured an 80s slasher, and that's kind of cool. It's cool to see a new one, because the a the, I, I well, new what, version of an old thing. Just rather. for my
4: own sort of amusement, what was it that made it very 80s-y?
1: Uh, the
4: characters. Uh,
1: cell phones didn't play a big part. Which was important to me, right? Because uh, again, yeah, cell phones would destro- could destroy most horror movies from the '80s and '90s and '70s. Forget it. I mean, again, it, Jaws. If Jaws there was a cell phone on the on the, the orca, <laughs> the movie would have been over halfway through, you right? Know? So uh, cell phones. You know, there is that. It just it just it would have killed it. There, there was a lack of. Um, I don't know. It just the kids were believable. They acted believable in the scenes they were in. Um, they it wasn't like there's so many movies that insult the horror crowd by, all right, three bodies are found, but let's continue partying. All right, no, the bodies aren't found. They're
4: partying because they didn't find them yet, and when they find them, then it's like, oh shit, the party is over. You know, like, you know what I'm talking I'm about. I'm glad you point that out because I yeah. I feel like that's violated now. And uh, you know, a perfect example is my wife and I were watching the New Evil Dead movie, and you know, a lot of people are big fans of it. But I had I had a lot of issues with it. And, okay. You know. They're, they're in the cabin and they go down to the basement and there's dead animals hanging from the ceiling and it's gotta smell terrible and there's blood everywhere. <laughs> but then everyone just kind of forgets that it's there and they just go back upstairs and it's like, well, well, let's wait have a minute. Let's have an
1: intervention now. It's like,
4: well, <laughs> right. But it's like, wait, yeah. wait a minute. You know, I mean, obviously something bad was going on. There's dead animals and all that kind of stuff. And you're just like, you know, you kind of just forget about it. But That's a, a good lot- point. The stink would have kept most girls out of there for the weekend. Well, but I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, something's not right. Yeah. You know, but I mean, all horror movies do that. You know, you're, oh, you're at the abandoned camp or you're at this or that. Mm -hmm. But just, it felt like it was really stretching. Yeah. 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 If you watch the original, and this is a great movie
1: and people love it uh, for the nostalgia is, of course, um, what's it? uh, The summer camp. Um, Oh, oh, help me out here. Uh, It's a newer film? No, no, no. We're going back early 80s. How could I forget? They made four of them. Summer camp. Oh, sleepaway camp. Sleepaway camp. Sleepaway camp. Well, the the problem with that one is, yeah, they're finding bodies, and the parents are okay with the kids still staying there, you know? (laughs) like Half the kids go away. I guess it's the kids that didn't have any parental units that were allowed to stay at the camp and continue... They need to be nowhere else to go <laughs> yeah that's, that's one thing that's majorly overlooked in that movie and it's a classic I do enjoy that movie it's it, creepy still the it e- is. the end is really creepy well right for right, yeah. several reasons but, oh yeah
4: you know and that's I'm glad you picked that up because it's very important to you know for believability if, if people are going missing or they're dying when people start finding corpses and this is something that I they, they came across with the sequel you have to be careful because if they come across the corpse, the story changes. Now they know that people are dying. Now they know that there's a killer. Get in the car and leave. Right, versus, you know, where's so-and-so or Mm so-and-so's missing. Oh, they're probably just you know, so you had the to focus, you had to focus on that. Uh, yeah, why people would disappear.
1: Yeah, well it makes sense because you had a party situation but not everybody was off of work yet or they had to go find their friend or they're waiting for someone to arrive. It all worked really well. It worked really well. Um, alright, so this takes place, you said, two, two years. years later. Yeah. Do we have any repeat performances?
4: Um uh, do,
1: do we want to kill that? That's spoiling your first one if we do that. But well, You, I don't, I don't you did that when you came in here, so. Did I? Uh, the first time. You, yeah, you explained who survived. Yeah, I was oh. like, he gave a spoiler during his interview. Oh, uh, that's where you're thing.
4: supposed to bleep it out. Kind right? of. Uh, yeah, I guess I was um, supposed to do that. Whoops. The, 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 those, well, I'll tell you right now, those that have survived the first film, we hmm. won't say who, okay. but even some that who were thought were dead, Ooh. it picks up two years after, and um there's three key people that are missing. Now, at the end of the first film, two people mm-hmm. walk off together. They're, mm-hmm. They never turned up. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, they never got home that morning, whatever, but they've been missing for two years. There's even missing posters plastered around town, you know, where have you seen me, that kind of thing. So they've never, they haven't, they just went missing. And one of the killer's bodies also was never recovered. So they, obviously they took a testimony. At the end of the first film, you could see her talking, to one of the policemen giving her her side of the story but you know there's two killers yes but one of them only one of them was recovered so we have a missing killer and we've got two missing kids and no one really has a lead on where any of them are so there's a sheriff in the in the, the town where the park is um who was assigned to the case and he's just kind of one of those guys just can't let it go <laughs> You know his sheriff's department's like a whopping five or six people and and they've all yeah that's two years ago well, blah, blah, blah. but for him, it's like where did they go? People don't just disappear. you know what's happening Meanwhile, um this corporation has moved in and bought the property. they bought the park and they're renovating it. so oh, it brings okay. in our new batch of characters, a bunch of college co-eds working for the summer to renovate this park, knowing the history. Knowing the history and they, you know, they joke about it and all that. That only makes um, it cooler to work there. It only makes it cooler. Yeah. But yeah. here's the thing that I thought was interesting. And this is what really drew me to doing the sequel because, you know, we talked about this before this even started. Was I wasn't gung ho about going in and just making another horror film and a, including a sequel to the film I'd already made. You know, you want to go out and try other things. But um, the the thing that really got me back into the story was the idea that this corporation going to buy the park. And it's going to capitalize on what happened in the first film. Mm -hmm. So it's weird in the sense that, you know, the park is now being designed just like Doug Bradley's character had originally wanted. Rides are being fashioned off of what happened. The souvenir shop's full of masks and crime scene photos and, you know... Well, there's chalk outlines on the ground where, where bodies were found, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you stop and you take your picture next to the chalk outline.
1: And we know those characters. So that makes it even more enjoyable. Right. Well, enjoyable.
4: <laughs> um, but it, it just, it really kind of drew me in because it was like, you know, I actually had to call around and, and talk to a couple of people because it's like, would, would this happen? You know, if... Would this break any laws? If there was a place that, you know, horrible, gruesome murders took place and then that place wanted to capitalize on these horrible, gruesome murders and commercialize it and, you know, you can do it. It's morbid. It's probably morally reprehensible, but it could be done. So this corporation is doing that, right? So now the park's changed its name to screen Park, and now, in, in a very sort of meadow way, oh, that's funny. the rides, everything is fashioned over what happened in the first film. But the local townspeople find it awful, and they hate it, and they don't want it there <laughs> anymore. they're pro- is there
1: protesting? Or They
4: are. I mean, you know, and and they they don't like it. They don't want it there. They don't think it should have been bought. They thought it should have right. been bulldozed into a parking lot, right? But this corporation's capitalizing on it. So. Now, it took place, Conneaut Lake Park,
1: right? Yeah. That's is it still there? I, there was a fire. Like, um, wasn't there a fire right after? Yeah, the
4: the beach club burned down. And oh, okay. It burned down hall? into the lake. But we filmed there. We filmed there for several days. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you have seen it or you haven't seen it, the scene where, um, well, they're in a restaurant essentially, and then they they go into a kitchen. That all, that whole yes, building yes, is sorry. gone. now. It, that's the, it, I knew that was the building. It's okay. completely – gone. They've lost it. Um, And unfortunately, the park's just having a really rough time right now because they were going to go into sheriff's sale. Now they're not going into sheriff's sale. Um, The Pennsylvania Attorney General has intervened in an attempt to save the park. So I'm rooting for them absolutely and it's it's a landmark at the same time it's like well what are we going to do if we're going to do a sequel what park are we going to use what about you bringing the park back with these movies you think of some popularity
1: some people there's always nostalgists that want to go and see or go to the park because they saw the
4: movie absolutely it, it seems like that would have regenerated something it was, it was pretty cool you know for our media campaign when the first film was being made and when it came out there are a lot of people posting on our social media and it was like oh my god i remember that park i went there as a kid i'm I live in, you know, Indiana or Wyoming or whatever, but I used to go there as a kid, right? And they'd go onto our Facebook page and check out the photos, and it would be a lot of reminiscing. Um, I wish that I had that kind of power where we could save the park and, you know, it's like Field of Dreams at the end where there's cars <laughs> lining up forever to come see it. Um, there was a film that actually shot there right behind us. As soon as we were done, oh, they dude. came in and they filmed. I wonder if I saw it. Um, I think it was called 13 Score? Mm oh oh I
1: I heard of it that's there's a big buzz about that um did they, they get some th- a award for not horror realm but one of those film festivals uh, well, most ro- well received or something, and I can't remember. I what. haven't had
4: a chance to check. I, I'm yeah. not even sure if it's out. I've heard I, good and things. I haven't seen it, but they followed us right behind. I me. Mean, we we moved out, and then within a couple of months, they had moved in and they were filming.
1: I did I did a review, and I had um for the first time I had Alicia Marie on for her other movie that she just did, Uh, uh Meltdown. Meltdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you watch that? I haven't
4: seen it. I no, unfortunately. I mean, it came and it played locally. Um, and it was actually there was a festival that Screen Park screened with it. Mm-hmm. I it was out in Somerset. And I, yeah, I yeah. was. Booked that weekend. Um, I've actually been working on another project as well. I forgot to tell you. Oh, about.
1: I, I was going to get. I knew there had to be some other stuff. <laughs>
4: ah, just go. <laughs> I haven't. Had, I haven't had a chance to um, to see it yet. No, but Alicia's great. And, you know, I'll watch she's, anything yeah, that she's in. She's just a great person.
1: And, uh, she gave a great interview. And, we, um yeah, a hundred episodes later, we got her on. And, uh, we wanted to get her on for Screen Park back then. Just in the timing just never. She was busy. Very busy. Um, it, it was good to have her on. We had her. And I'm going to get the director for Meltdown on. And, um, hopefully, oh, uh, one of Rosinski's guys that is in it. Um, forget his name now, but, uh, MC Pink. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 He's, he's crazy. I love him. Uh, I think he play I think his name's Lance. Uh, I can't think of his last name. He's going to kill me now. But I'm supposed to get them on here at some point, too. Uh, all right, so I got into the actors a little bit. Um, I, I, so plot, you kind of told me a little bit about the plot. Yeah, and that's, that's the but general setup. It sounds like setup, it's, but it's almost
4: reinventing itself well, because you got a parallel going on there that's kind of cool. It, well, I mean, it's a sequel, right, to a horror film. So it's like how can you mimic the first film or, or self-referentiate the first film but it be completely different? The thing that I will say is that I had a lot of fun with the sequels. I said, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be off the wall. You're going to do the uh, double the body count thing. Uh, I, it's probably more than double. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, again, I started having fun with it. It's mixing genres. It's not just we so got a, a roll roller of Ferris film. wheel. <laughs> it's um <laughs> oh rides come apart. So oh, I knew that was coming, yeah. man. Um, That's an '80s
1: thing too, man.
4: Yeah. Oh, what? absolutely. The movie
1: roller Coaster, You ever see that? No. Made for
4: TV. Yeah, well, all the big shebang happens in the beginning and then the avoidance. No, I saw that. That, Wait, they actually... It was a real amusement park and they actually... The roller coaster—they set fire to it or something mm-hmm. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was what it was called. It Goes off the rails, yeah, and kills everybody
1: on board. But then they uh, are able to thwart it. So everything that was horrible just became uh, ABC TV on a Sunday night. Bummer. Yeah, big bummer. They, uh, yeah, it lost it, but it—it's it, still popular because that showed at prime time, and they have all these this roller coaster full of people going off the rails. Uh, I was wondering if you're going to go that route because that's expensive.
4: It, well, it is, but I mean, spoiler the. The the script as is, I mean, it's so many different things. It's more than just, it's not just a slasher film anymore, because I don't want to just kind of go by the numbers. But, I mean, it it mixes in, it's a slasher, but it's got other genres grafted onto it. It's got the detective mystery. It's got that sheriff that refuses to let go, and, you know, he's digging. there's, There's an investigative side to it. You've got a whole new batch of kids. Um, you've got weird things going on with the corporation in the park. And there's even a, a, a splash of science fiction, I will say. And nice. a splash of science fiction involved in the film. Very cool. Uh, really? Uh, yeah. I, and I can't explain it without giving really away can't. a big chunk. If you want, we'll shut the mic off and I'll tell you All right, we're, we're going to do
1: that anyway. We're going to take a break <laughs> and I'm going to find out something that you guys have to wait for.
4: All right, Leah, let's, let's
1: play a tune. All right, we'll get back to you in a little bit with Carrie Hill and secrets to be secrets
4: of Scream Part 2
0: Hi Dave this is Big Tony the Prague Squatch host of everyone's favorite progressive rock podcast Prague Watch just wanted to say thanks for uh, playing our song this week and congrats on your 100th episode uh, here's 200 more take it easy man
1: Hey Dave, it's Chris from Mouthing Off. Just wanted to call and congratulate you on your 100th episode of Kettle Whistle Radio. And to top it off, I've got a message from Barack Obama on this special occasion. You didn't build
0: that. Somebody else made that happen.
1: Oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, despite what he might think, I know you worked real hard, busted your ass, and you did build that. So great job, and I can, I can say that I
4: knew you way back when you were a weird kid, recording yourself on some old-fashioned tape recorder. Keep up the good work, man.
3: Here, angel trumpets and devil trombones. You are invited.
0: Kettle Popcorn for a hundred years That's that's amazing I never had a bite of it But I'm put Wait hold on what Oh your, your, your little podcast Kettle Popcorn Radio 100 episodes Big deal I live in a mansion Rick. What are you doing with your little pod show Well congratulations Now I gotta go kick piles in the balls For making me call you Have a good fucking day
1: you want me to chime in? Yeah, you can chime in. Actually, we can both chime in right now. Are we going to talk about Ebola? Yeah. <laughs> Ebola. Nah, actually, um, Ebola flakes. Um, did you hear about Phil Rudd? ACDC, drummer. Almost, almost got busted for hiring a killer. You didn't hear about No, this. I, apparently I've been exonerated. There wasn't enough evidence, touch. but yeah, the drummer for ACDC, uh, apparently, uh, he, he got busted for drug possession and hiring a hitman. That was in the news for the purposes of. We don't know. Uh, we no don't, one yeah, knows? Yeah, no, yeah, well, they probably know by now. Uh, we just, I don't have that right now. But yeah, if you don't know, then uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, you, did you hear about Robert Plant? Ripped up an eight, uh, well, 300, potentially $800 million contract. To get back with the other three guys signed up. When I say three, Jason Bonham signed up. Okay. Okay. I was gonna say Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they unearth the corpse yeah, yeah. of John yeah. Bonham. No, that's gonna be your job. That's gonna be a great movie one day. But anyway, no. Robert Plant ripped up the contract and I'm thinking he just can't hit the notes anymore. Why else do you he still them?
4: is he still solo?
1: Yeah. Well, yes and no. I don't know that he's really touring anymore. But he, the idea was thirty five dates. That's all they had to do is thirty five dates, Zeppelin. $800 million was the max, and that might have been just Robert Plant, but I know he was at least getting $300 million, ripped it up in front of the promoter. So so he's kind of a dick about it, too.
4: Yeah, and I I don't know. Is, is it You because he has not hit the notes? Is it Jimmy Page? Is it what? I it. mean, yeah. well, here's the thing. You know, On the same topic, I'm a little geeked. It's not going to be the same. I know it's not going to be the same, but Pink Floyd's supposedly getting back together. Pink Floyd's one of my all-time favorite bands. Nick Mason's dead. You know, which is sad that you'll never get the original lineup. But the fact right. that Gilmore and Waters are willing to chat and sort of get together—that's you know, a big deal. Um, I'm, I'm geeked, and I'm, I'm there. But there was, um, there was another band. Was it David Lee Roth and Van Halen? Again? Oh, well, I saw
1: that return with, with the uh, what's his name? You know, Wolf Blitzer, Van Halen there, who was playing bass, and yeah, he was a good sure, That you know, the kid. Uh, but you know, I'd rather see that they brought back, you know. I just can't believe that they ousted, um, what's his face, you know, with the Jack Daniels guitar. Uh, he, he wasn't allowed to come back. Mike, what's Michael, his name? Uh, um, Michael, Michael Anthony. Yes. Yeah. Lots of brain farts tonight, man. I don't know what's going on here. You know what? It it's was a, w- Bad work week. Bad work week, honestly. But yeah, yeah. So, that, yeah, that, I saw that tour. It was good. It was good to see Van Halen and David Lee Roth and Van Halen on the same stage. Eddie Van Halen getting along, but, and Alex, but, eh, you know. Is Eddie still functional? Yeah, he was good. He was good. Oh yeah, I'm seeing Ace Freely this weekend. Oh yeah, Saturday it's night, Ace man. Yes, because uh, I, I I'm not a, I'm not a huge Kiss fan. I say that on the show a lot, but I love the Ace. The Ace, I I'm a fan of him, not the other I like two Kiss. guys. I like.
4: I mean, uh, Peter Chris is awesome too, but I I can't do Paul and Gene. There's something about that money making machine just bothers me. I actually, I had the opportunity to meet Gene Simmons, and um, but it was going to cost me a hundred dollars. With the opportunity for $500 to have him sign my guitar. Uh, okay. Um, Give and take. Pass.
0: <laughs>
1: Moving on. What's next? All right. So, uh, let's see. What else did I have for you here? Uh, there was one little thing here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Richard Simmons is missing. What is that about? Is he now the lead singer <laughs> of Led Zeppelin? I don't know. This could uh, turn into something by the time people listen to this, though. But he is missing right now.
4: What's his name we- went missing, too? Um couple months ago, they found him in Canada. Who was that? Oh, it was um, uh, the radio DJ, um, oh. Rick Dees. Yeah, what was that about? Rick Rick? I think it was Rick Dees. The disco duck? <laughs> uh, in the top 40. Yeah, he, he disappeared. Yeah. I think they found him in Canada. I think he died, actually. Oh, boy. Nah, not After good. Words. Not good, not good. Well, this show has taken a turn. It, oh, it
1: usually does, but... That's only because you topped it off off air. I got the entire story to screen park, too. Um, oh, so now people are going to be flipping over cars and, yeah. and angry and <laughs> missing links. Beating they, on your door. I didn't, demanding yeah, answers. I didn't want spoilers, but I definitely got some twists. So
4: what do you think? I mean, so.
1: Oh, it works. Not, not to
4: tease. Not it to works. Not to tease
1: the audience. What do you think, Dave, in, in terms of. I'm already in line. Yeah. Um, you did answer the question about doubling the body count. Now I can see how you're going to
4: do that uh, I, within a couple of takes. <laughs> I mean, it's... But it's not just going to be chopped up. People right. show up. Oh, my God, what's going on? They're chopped up. They're dead. It, it all builds into yes. this big ending where it's... The big ending is great, and the opening is even
1: better. I like how you're opening it. I just a little bit of comedic thing that happens that I can't talk about. But, uh yeah, I really, really like... All of it. And in the end, I
4: can't imagine. What, buckets of blood? <laughs> buckets of blood. <laughs> a very large effects budget, most likely. Um, you know, I, and I just I wanted to take on this film differently. One, I wanted to have fun with it. If we're going to do a sequel. It's got to be bigger, badder, and and, and better. Um, and it's just got to kind of come out of the gate swinging. Yep. You know, the first film had that slow burn, that building, that, um, you know, meet the characters, but... Introduce the killers and all that kind of thing. And you know, a a lot of the reviewers and the bloggers and stuff like that kind of had a beef with it. Some people really got it. Some people got that sort of. Because a lot of 80s horror movies start like that. They got that slow burn going and things like that. But this one's just going to come out of the gate and you're just going to have to hold on.
1: Yeah. Well, no. I, I can't wait. I, here's
4: a big question for you, okay? And
1: uh, this is a personal one. Um, okay. Uh, the Fall of Tomorrow, wrote this book. You're familiar with it. I am I, with it. I still plug the thing. You got to plug yourself because nobody else... You want to adapt it into a feature film. Nope, nope, nope. I wasn't going to pitch it to you. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, but you were there for the signing. That was nice. I was. Um, I. That was the book that was not supposed to be, okay? It was... Uh, you told me the yeah, story Yeah, the short story. And people wanted more, including the publisher who wanted more. And, um... One thing led to another. I sat down and the second chapter flew third. Boom. And then I was like, wow, this was supposed to be. And it just kind of happened. Um, did you ever really want a sequel? Did you even think you wanted to do other things? Yeah, completely I always different thought things? One of things.
4: Maybe I come back to it or it's a fallback or, you know, it's out there. Um, but, I mean, how do you how do you write a love letter to the 80s horror films And not do a sequel. That's the missing piece. You can have the killer. You can have all the stereotypical kids. You can have the types of deaths. You can have the ambiance, the wardrobe, all that stuff. But the only way to really complete that love letter is to have the sequel. That's the missing piece. Right? Because so many of those great 80s movies, even the ones that nobody either knows about or ever heard of. Fright Night 2. Fright Night 2. (laughs) um, Slumber Party Massacre. Mm -hmm. uh, Sleepaway Camp. I mean, there's so many of those that have... More than one sequel, mm-hmm. um, and most people don't even really know about the first one. But I mean, how do you you know? You can't have a complete love letter and say here's all the things I love about those '80s horror films in one movie. It doesn't work. You have to have a sequel because that's the missing piece. Um, that's not necessarily why I wanted to get into it, but and, you know, the end of the first film is wide open.
1: You know, yeah. I mean, it,
4: it it ends on a cliffhanger. Yes, way, it does. Uh,
1: multiple cliffhangers. Uh, yeah,
4: right. And so, but you know, when I kind of took a look at it, and I said, "All right, well, what's the lay of the land for the sequel?" You know, you look at it and you go, "Well, okay, there's there's room to play here." You know, there's there's things left hanging. So, I mean, I could have done the Halloween two route where you literally pick up the moment right. where the film ends. Right. Didn't want to do that. i like to have that gap where yeah. it's just like, you know, it's been two years, and you have got all the characters in the film in the sequel, referring to things that happened in between Mm -hmm. to kind of get the audience caught up. I I hate when there's sort of this scrolling text where it's like, well, here's what you missed. Yeah, right. (laughs) There was a commercial break, and here's what you missed between the two (laughs) films. Now you're brought up to speed. Go. You know, sort of that unraveling, that fact-finding, that the bit of mystery where you're you're piecing it together on your own is the way I want to go about it. I think that having that sheriff character in the sequel who's, Refuses to give up on the case, who's constantly right. going back through files, and that, that kind of stuff reveals what happened in between the two films.
1: Do you have a musical score or bands in mind this um, time around? That was a big
4: deal last time. The only element that has currently signed up for the sequel, no actors, no crew or anything like that, but the one person who has committed, and I said absolutely, um, is Christian Kriegescott, and he wrote the opening score for the first film. You know, the big orchestra part you know with with the credits rolling and everything like that and i originally wanted him to do the score of the first film but it was a matter of just sort of time and schedule and and you know he worked under hans zimmer in la you know i mean his, I not his resume that. you know he has gone to graduate school and things for composition i mean his his resume is incredibly uh impressive but at the same time, he's the kind of guy that's like, oh yeah, I get all those movies you're referencing. You know, he and I had an hour long discussion about the score of To Return to the Living Dead. Oh. Which is okay. fantastic. And he's a huge fan. So he said, um, you know, alright, well. You're that's gonna... one of my favorites. Oh, we'll get far. to that. Oh yeah. But he's currently in New York, um, living his dream and he's, he's composing and, and he's doing music production and things like that. But he said, you know, Hey, look! If you're going to do another one, I'm on. I'm, I, I want to do the score this time. We'll do the whole thing, right? So he's going to have an orchestra, the whole shebang with synth and all that other kind of stuff. But he's going to score the whole film. So right now, there's a script, and there's Christian. So we have a script and a composer. Wow. All right. So, um, all right. You do have baby that steps, out. one one piece at a time. But um, in terms of other music, no. Nah, I mean, I, I oh. liked. <laughs> I liked a lot having produced music in the first film. Razorblade Dolls. Um, yeah, they're missed. I feel, I, you know, I, I was busted up when I heard that they, yeah. that they split up. But I, I feel like I'm still in their debt for, for willing to let me use their music. I mean, I, just, I, I can't think of the wrists. I can't listen to the wrists I now know, and not think I of know. the end of Scream Park, you know. Where oh, I totally it, agree. But uh, um, Maybe this is a shout out. I
1: know that um, our buddy Scar there. Uh, Scarloff Razorblade doll, which is now, yeah, no longer, I guess he just goes by Scar Carpenter, I think, now, or David Scar Carpenter. Has something brewing. I don't know what it's going to be, but, you know, maybe this is a shout-out. Hey, send something your way. Or maybe we can do a contest here on Kettle Whistle Radio and have a bunch of bands send some stuff. You give us an idea of what kind of music you want. Only one song well, gets in, I think. Hey,
4: man, I love that idea. Um, well. Because, you know, I mean, you've got background music. You've got, you know, people. the kids in, in the film listen to music, and, and mm-hmm, it's a great way to mm-hmm. plug
1: the band you know, oh, a, a yeah.
4: band and at the same time it adds production value you've got real music and all that kind of that like kind Absolutely. of what we did with with kyle reardon's car mm-hmm. in the first film i love just <laughs> you know him rolling up and there's just you know uh metal blasting. <laughs> that was great was awesome. yes yes well um, uh
1: give us an idea the audience too uh because a lot of them are musicians what are you looking for uh no country all right, no. You're a metalhead, but you're kind of nostalgic '80s metal, I but good bands. Um, uh, you're not. You're not poisoning your Queensrÿche, correct?
4: I like oh, I like right. Operation like Mindcrime Crime is one of my favorite albums of all time.
1: Oh, that's a great album. I yeah. mean, if you want, it, a lot of people it,
4: say that that's sort of like, oh yeah, you know, that's like, oh you like no. the Beatles, you like the White Album, so if you like Queen's you like Mindcrime. But
1: uh, Mindcrime, I saw the tour three times. they uh, were incredible no, yeah. when they were all together and on it, they were incredible. And it makes
4: me sad that Jeff Tate's not part of it anymore. Yeah, I can't done with all. When the bands
1: start breaking up, I'm kind of done. Well, with they them. lost DeGarmo, yeah. and all... anyway, people lose him early. They lost him early too. All right, um, so but the anyway. sound, what kind of sound are you looking for in a band? And, anything. and then maybe I'll get some stuff. I
4: mean, as we piece it together one thing at a time, I mean, it's still a ways out, but it's it's great to have that kind of toolkit of music where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a scene and mm-hmm. there's going to be some sort of diegetic music where someone has a radio on or anything like that. Oh, I love that and you too. Can plug it you in. You did and, that already. Yeah. That was cool. um, so I mean, it could certainly fit. They're in a van, you know, in the film, um, mm-hmm. and there's a joke about the Scooby-Doo Mystery Machine and, and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But anyway, so I mean. Yeah, there's, there's places for it, so I mean, I'm game. I just, you know, country's just something that unless you're making Maybe you know, your, your Robert sheriff. Altman's Nashville, it's tough to have country music involved.
1: <laughs> or your sheriff might be listening to that when he's just pull, pulling up in
4: the patrol but car. But isn't that stereotypical?
1: Yeah, it truly is. Maybe the sheriff's um, a metalhead. That would be funny. No, see, I didn't get the age of the sheriff yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the, we're, you're open to punk rock, industrial, and old sure. school metal. Everything. Uh, what about old death metal?
4: Rock, I mean... Anything at this point right. could totally right. fit in. Um, you hear that,
1: guys? It's open. So he's looking for music anywhere. Now, not just one song. Now you're looking maybe well, one I, one to three. I don't know.
4: Yeah, su- submit it. Hey, we'll All make right. it work. I mean, I we may not get back to you right away, but I mean, right. it's one of those things that you don't really know until you're in the editing room and you're like, okay, I need some music.
1: And you got to give the okay to play it on Kettle Whistle Radio. Send your music to Radio one word, at gmail.com. And that's where everybody sends it. I got so much music to play, I can't even play at all. But, yeah, well, great. maybe, yeah, maybe we could figure something out there. I, maybe it'll be something we already got. We'll see. But, yeah, it's open right now. The forum is open. So, think about it, guys. Um. Hit me up. Next question. We Let's were talking it. about, okay, what other type of horror movies would you like to make other than a slasher? You were talking about uh, the documentary or the, well, sort of documentary, but, <laughs> the no, you but film. what other horror movie? We, uh, we, we talked about cryptozoology once. Are you into monsters at all?
4: I, 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 what kind of monster? We're talking like Godzilla. we talking like mm. open, Creature from a Black Lagoon. Well, that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I mean, a monster movie could be interesting. I just, I mean, where do you go with it? And, and that's the same thing with zombies. You know, would I make a zombie movie? Sure, if it's a good enough story or something that's, that hasn't been done, why tread mm. the same path? I mean, zombies are huge. Right. Still, it blows my mind. I remember talking about this. Uh, Ninety-five episodes ago, with you talking about <laughs> zombies and they've jumped the shark and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. like, man, I you know, Walking Dead's as big as ever, unbelievable. But you that's know? a
1: character-driven story. That's why it it's is. A characters. A- the zombies to me are very downplayed. <laughs> it's it's always the evil people versus the good people, and the characterization of the good people, which is good. Uh, but we cross the line there when it becomes what I call the caveman theory. The dinosaurs are supposed to be interesting eating people. When you, when you have the cavemen show up in a dinosaur movie, it's boring. So what I mean is, <laughs> I'm getting very tired of the bad people angle when it's about zombies. Alright, right. we understand people are bad, but uh, come on, let's get the zombies to be scary again. And they do it, but there's always this group of bad people. I'm getting kind of tired of it. I am. Well, That's I mean, my caveman you, theory, I'm five, sticking to it.
4: Five seasons in, I mean, where are you know, gonna go you with it? it? But I mean... <laughs> More disease. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, monster movies, it could be, I... You know, to me, cryptozoology is something that's barely been scratched in cinema, but it, it's really tough to do. You know, I'm a big fan of the Mothman Prophecies, the book. You know, John Keel. Um, that kind. Of, that's weird. That is a creepy book based on a true story. And actually, you know, I, my wife and I actually took a trip to Point Pleasant last year. Nice. We went down um, and kind of went sightseeing to all the Mothman spots. Um, that place gives off a really creepy vibe. Yeah, there's a lot of history there. Oh, man. We've, yeah. We went to the TNT area. We went to all the places where they saw the Mothman and all the weird phenomena. And it gives off a really strange vibe. Do you believe in the Indian curse? Uh, Chief Cornstalk. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what. After being there, I think anything's in play. I think that might have been the uh Given how weird. Catalyst. I think that was the catalyst. It is. Um, But, you know, I mean, in that movie, they had an awesome source novel. And like I said, it's creepy. But they they ditched 90% of the book and kind of fabricated a lot of stuff for the film. And the film, you know, some people like it. I'm not a big fan, but I I was just sad to see it. I like the movie. I own
1: the soundtrack, too. Oh, yeah. I'm a a fan. I
4: didn't like where they went with it. But, I mean, a lot of Keel stuff, you know, that cryptozoology, you've got Mothman, you've got um, Bigfoot and and other weird creatures, giants and stuff like that. I mean, there's fodder for Chupacabra. There's fodder for movies, but it's just how do you do it? And I think that, now certainly not the time. When you've got movies like Sharknado and Sharknado 2 and, and, and you know, Corman and Sci-Fi Channel just laying waste to oh, yeah. monster movies, they're good for what, they are, good for and what I, they are and they know what they are. And so I, I can say, okay, you're not yeah. trying to pull one over on me. You know what you are and you're making light of it. Great. Fine. But it's not something that well, draws me in. This, mirror, I don't
1: know where you'll stand with this. Indianapolis Day of the Dead. Great, great show. I did with John Russo and Gary... Uh, And Gary Vincent for you know Burning Bulb Publishing. Tara Reid sat adjacent to us for Sharknado. People were bringing in inflatable sharks for her to sign. Uh, She was never without fifteen to twenty five people online to pay fifteen to thirty bucks for a signature. So she's making out on the horror crowd now. I don't know how you feel about that, but it was only for Sharknado. And I thought she sucked in the movie. She just kind of walked through it drunk. But hey, all right, she came
4: back for the sequel. (laughs) And it's funny because, I mean, Asylum, that's their MO, are making kinds of movies like this. They get people that we haven't seen in several years that it's like you say their name. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember them from some 90s show or something like that. Yeah. Um, okay. And also they, they make films that sound like current films to try to trick elderly you know, movie shoppers. <laughs> and, that, and they've totally come out and said this, right? So, they, I mean, they have a movie called Atlantic Rim. That doesn't even make sense, but... No, it doesn't. It, when you, you know, you send your grandma to the store, oh, buy me a copy of Pacific Rim at Walmart. And so they're sitting there and they're like, you oh. know, trying to figure out, so they grab Atlantic Rim or they grab oh, Alien vs. Hunter off the shelf oh. or Transmorphers or whatever. Man, oh man. I never. Hey, man, oh. You know, more power to them. They're making movies. So, hey, anybody doing it, that's great, but it's it's not my bag. All right, this is uh, um,
1: this is kind of a personal question. You don't don't go particular on this, um,
4: <laughs> but you can definitely give me your point of view.
1: Um with the su- the success that you've had, okay? And I know you worked hard for it. Uh were you, but were you met with adversity, uh certain doors did close, that used to be open, friends disappeared that used to be there? I I there's a reason I'm asking this. I'm just curious where you are with it.
4: Um I haven't talk to a lot of the people from the film uh not, oh, necessarily. not
1: them included because they're great people and i do talk to them and they still admire you a lot
4: yeah i mean it, and it's not necessarily a choice of like oh I've, i'm so sick of these people i'm moving on but it's just kind of like you know malcolm mcdowell said it in a very i saw in an interview with him once and he and he put it very well is that you know when you're making a film you get real close with people and it's like you know you're closely knit and then and the film's over and you break apart and you're closely knit and you broke apart And it's the same kind of way, Um, Hmm. you know, and it's even more so in the industry where you bring in actors and you fly them in and they they do their part and they leave and you don't see them anymore. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they have to redo their dialogue and you see them for a little bit. But it's like for the crew and stuff, it's intense. I mean, it's like boot camp. You're putting in 12, 16, 18 hour days. You're all together. It's, you know, it's the group of you. You rely on each other and everything like that. And I think when it was done, I remember specifically, I was like, okay, well, we're filming this. We're going to have the best rap party. You know, we're going to have booze. We're going to watch, you know, clips and footage, and it's going to be great. I'm finally going to get to talk to people because, you know, on set, the actors got to chat and get to know each other and everything. And I was just busy. I didn't get to to sort of, you know, BS and and get to actually just chat with people. I was constantly working. I said, we're going to have this great rap party, and it's going to be awesome. And you know how it ended? When the film was finally done. I finished it on uh, New Year's Eve, 2012. It was finally at a point where it was like, it's done, it's finished. And I finished it with a bottle of champagne by myself. See. Oh, my God. Because it was like it went on and on, and you're in post-production, and then you're editing. Yeah. And Scott Lewis and I were spending so much time every night just putting it together and making sure things stick together. A bottle of champagne with yourself. Right. And it was the point right, where no, it was like my rap that. party was a bottle of champagne by myself. I believe that. Where it was just sort of like, okay. Dude, well, you're probably decompressing, it. too. Yeah. I mean – Next time, but I mean, it's one of those things, it's a, it's a learning process. It's mm. the first film, there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be fallouts, there's going to be a learning process involved with it. And so you have that sort of idealist, oh, it's going to go like this, and it's going to be great, and we're going to do this, and then this. And instead, it's just sort of like, as long as you keep the mentality, of, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this done. Mm. And then you kind of figure out how that works. And then you, know, you kind of bowl through it, and then Scott and I... And, and uh, Liz Rischel were like the last three people involved with the editing and the score and everything. And then at the end, even when Scott was done editing it, at the very end, it was just me. And I was like sort of the last one standing with this final, finally finished film and a bottle of champagne. I was just like, all right, it's party time. <laughs> that's classic. Here we go. Um, but that's the thing. I mean, the education involved with making that first film is so invaluable. I mean, I, I can't even begin to put it in words. You, you have know. you have done it tonight. So <laughs> you, you go into the next film and you're like, okay, now I know what to do, what not to do, who to get, who not to get, who who to make sure you have involved, and and what to do, and you know, and we'll get that wrap party. We'll get a better film. We'll get a more professional film. You know, it'll take it up a notch. And I think that anybody who's a filmmaker that does that, who can grow from film to film, whether their first film is atrocious or unwatchable who literally can grow from film to film, you know, my hat is off. I I admire you. Because it's all about taking what you learned in the past film and apply it to the next film. I read an interview with David Fincher um, at the beginning of the month, and he said that basically he had no idea what the hell he was doing until he got to Benjamin Button. And you think of all the films that he made before... Benjamin Button, and, you know, he said that basically he had no idea what he was doing as a director until he got to that point. That makes perfect sense. You have to make all the mistakes first. You do. Um,
1: yeah, it, it was a personal question for me. I, I Like, again, it's not my first outing as a writer, but I finished that novel, The Fall of Tomorrow. By the way, it's on Amazon.com, The Fall of Tomorrow. Always plugging. Uh, but the thing with it, with that is, it's been well received by a lot of people that don't know me, and then there's this weird kind of... Uh, not lashback but people that kind of break away from me saying um that oh he's changed because he's a writer now like i've been a writer since i was nine years old i've been writing i'm still the same guy and i'm always if anything i'm just trying to improve and that book is a start of something huge i've got so many more things to do and that's the way i'm looking at it and Some people don't look at it that way, and they back away um, just like, oh, he thinks he's big shit now because he has a book out there. (laughs) And there couldn't be any more further than the truth. There's people that seem
4: to think that I'm rich and that uh, because I'm making a second film that the first one must have done gangbusters. I'm like, I don't understand where you're getting that from. I said I want to make a sequel to this film. I didn't say, hey, it's a $4 million film that's fully funded. By my own pocket it was just like i want to do this um and you know people look at it they draw their own conclusions um and i'll i'll rip off one more quote for tonight then i swear i'll stop but um, i don't care there's a quote from from donald trump that basically says that if people aren't coming after you then you're not making it (laughs) at that point so as long as people are coming after you then you're on the right track to success (laughs) or just going by the wayside is that something else well i mean or you're not worth the time right? yeah um yeah, definitely that. But, you know, it, it's a journey and, you know, people come, they go. I mean, it it, it happens. It's all about, not to sound selfish or, you know, self-motivating, or anything, but it's just kind of like you set out to do something. I want to make a film. You want to write a book. You have to commit fully mm-hmm. because there's going to be a zillion obstacles mm-hmm. in your way. And if you have to commit fully to get to that end no matter what, you know, so when you get there, you can look back. But I mean, there's going to be people that that make it with you that that won't stop supporting you that that you know want to see you succeed. They themselves don't have that kind of goal, but man, there you go. Whatever they can do to help, and then there's going to be other people that just want to tear you down. Unfortunately, well said. I, and that's the thing about being an artist. Um, man, it sounds so weird to say that. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. But being a creative person, that's just what you got to do. And it's hard. You know, if you if you were an engineer or you were a scientist and you go in every day, you go to the lab, you, you work with facts and numbers and percentages and all that kind of stuff, it's easy mm. because there's always things to back it up. There's data. But when you're an artist and you go out and you create and you design and you, you build things, you're at the mercy of anyone else. Someone someone can come in and look at your writing and be like, that's stupid. You don't know what you're doing. Solely for the purpose of saying you're stupid and you don't know what you're doing. But, I mean, if you go into a scientist and you say you're stupid, you don't know what you're doing, you've got all of this empirical evidence and data that says, (laughs) hell no, here, look, look at all these measurements. But as an artist, you're putting your heart out there. You're putting your mind, you're putting what you think, what you feel, what you know, what you want to do. Based on other people's opinions on the rebuttal of what you did. Um, And there's a (laughs) – I swore I wouldn't do it, but here I am again. Um, There's a quote that I have printed out. (laughs) <laughs> that I keep by me. No, I seriously. As I'll an wait. artist, and I, you know, and I send this your way. This, as an artist, this is huge. There's um, there's a famous quote by Teddy Roosevelt that says that that nothing matters but the guy in the arena. You know, there's going to be all the people in the stands bashing that person or criticizing or saying, "Oh, I would have done it differently," but nothing matters other than the person in the arena actually doing it. And if you're in the arena and you're doing it, and you're fighting. To do whatever it is that you want to do, you're beyond any sort of criticism. And that kind of, I mean, that helps. It does. It's tough. It's beyond tough. Because a, as, a, as a creative person, like I said, you put yourself out there to criticism. And that's why a lot of people won't do it. They're creative people. And I hate that. If someone tells me they're creative and they want to write a book or they want to make a movie or they want to paint and they, they're afraid to do it, it hurts me physically. And so it's like, go do it. What's stopping you? I say it all the time to people. Go go do it. Oh, there's, there's a fear of failure you know it's like so what it is that
1: yeah i think yeah that might be the biggest one and we have a big age gap between me and you so it's kind of like yeah kind of spanning decades here of uh, advice but you uh, for me yeah i'd die if i wasn't able to get my thoughts out on page and uh, you, know, you said it before when we were just talking out in the living room you're like uh, what what did you say just like uh, the creative you, you'll bleed to death or what is it, you'll it bleed was it internal there's, well, no, there's a
4: physical pain involved physical. <laughs> with being a creative person and and not being able to express yourself you know if you work a 9 to 5 job or you work a mundane job and you can't come home and express yourself creatively it it, it brings about pain and it's tough i mean i i worked for apple a corporate and i had a job that so many other people would give everything to have, you know, it, it's a job at a prestigious company where you're actually influencing product that's coming out. But I was so unhappy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had made it. I had left Pittsburgh. I went to California. I was, I was working with Steve Jobs. I met him twice. I and, didn't know that. Yeah. And I, you know, I work with these guys and all the top engineers in Apple to help influence this stuff. And I was miserable. And it wasn't because of what I was doing; it was miserable because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. Because there was no creative. that wasn't writing. I wasn't right. filmmaking. It wasn't anything like that. So I, I quit. I left. I came back to Pittsburgh to do it to make a film. And
1: you did it, and I did. And yeah, you really began. did. You had something to show for it that's substantial. Um, I, on that note, um, like, how do you feel about like you know like movies and movie distributors like? with the indie artists netflix versus on demand movies were you you haven't been on you were on demand weren't
4: you uh verizon fios on demand yes. itunes yes. you can rent on itunes and um google play store okay it's available on there
1: so they've been good to the indie artists you think uh, um
4: there's still a, a it's
1: revolutionary i think
4: well yeah i mean you're going to reach a lot more people but there's still a hurdle involved like as in as a filmmaker, you can't go up to iTunes and say, "Hey, look, I want to put my movie on iTunes. Will you please distribute my film?" There's mm-hmm. a barrier. Mm-hmm. You have to have a distributor representing you to go to iTunes or to go to Google Play um, on your behalf because they don't they don't take submissions from from filmmakers. You have to have to have to go through the traditional route. Right, and then not only that, but you have to clear hurdles so the distributor take your film and then itunes says well we have a third party company that that will make sure that there's quality control for what we're putting up Mm -hmm. so you not only as a filmmaker do you have to have a distributor but the distributor has to then go through this third party that has to clear your film to actually make it up onto itunes Mm -hmm. so there's a process involved i think it's great and there's a lot of filmmakers that attempt self-distribution um but it's really tough yeah you know, there's there's websites out there where if you make a film, you can put it up on this website and people can pay a few dollars to watch it. And as the artist, you recoup 90 to 100% of it. And that's great, mm. but they're invisible. Mm. Like, there's just no sort of visibility and people aren't aware of them. Isn't right? that what Spotify is doing to music musicians right now? Spotify so, was... They don't pay them enough from what I hear. Do um, I don't know. It, it's just kind of murky with the way that... Spotify and, and beats radio and iTunes radio and all that stuff is sort of going, I I really can't keep track, but in (laughs) in terms of the filmmaker stuff, you know, Hey, if you're able to recoup expenses or make money doing self-distribution, more power to you, but man, it's tough. It really is. And I, I still count my blessings, you know, wild. Eye (laughs) picked up screen park and they were enthusiastic about it. They were, they really wanted it. And, um, they've done a ton of work with it and I'm grateful with it. And, um, you know, I, I owe a lot to that for them putting it out on on DVD and on demand and everything like that. So I'm excited to see how it does when we get our our first six month report on on how well it spread and everything like that. Yeah,
1: I'd look forward to that for you. And I, I heard uh, guys, I heard uh, girls, uh, folks, friends, and fiends. I have to be more specific. Um, I heard the whole movie, <laughs> just uh, talking uh, with the minus a few things, and I cannot wait to see this thing, this sequel of yours. <laughs> if this comes to fruition, it's going to be amazing. Um, yeah, I really look forward to it. Now, are you doing? I have to ask you: Are there a couple of scenes or something you shot in this one you didn't get to do in the first one? You were um, chomping at the bit to do that. There just was didn't...
4: a death scene that was in the first one script that we weren't able to do, and it was limitations because Kanye didn't have the kind of ride that we needed. <laughs> And there was a last-ditch effort to film at Waldemere Park on Lake Erie because Waldemere had the ride that this death was involved with. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, decapitation
1: Wal- tilt a whirl, or uh,
4: no, better than that. Oh, cool. um, it involved swings. Oh, but it was a great death. It's actually my favorite death in the entire first script. Mm. But um, we couldn't do it. And Waldemir, unfortunately, really didn't want anything to do with us, so we weren't able to do it. But there's a death in the second film that I think If
1: you could have it. seen the look on Carrie's face just then when he said, they didn't want anything to do with us. They'd, it well, says
4: it all. <laughs> you, you know, you, you learn to become cheery and positive when you roll into a, a place and say, mm-hmm. Hi, I'm a producer of, uh, of an independent film called Screen Park, and we want to use your location um, to stage a murder. And so at that point, the person either kind of gets white-faced or runs screaming or starts laughing at you and is like, get the hell out of here. Um, so there's a lot of that as, as a as a film producer, but um, Kanye was game from the whole thing. Yeah, okay, cool. sounds good. <laughs> so do we have a projected date? Um, I would love to start filming in a year. I mean, there's going to be, there's a lot of logistics involved. Mm. Um, number one is finding a park. You know, we talked about, Conneaut's plight and, right. uh, and uncertainty. I had looked at joga Lake. Um, they've been closed since 2007, but the facade is still there, and they've actually got some really cool buildings, but it's in such a state of disrepair, I don't know if they'll let us in. Um, but finding a park is step one, and then, of course, financing it. The, mm. the second film's going to have a, a higher budget because there's more we want to do. Um you know, we want to be a union film, if possible, to bring in, you know, union crew, union actors, and things like that. But, um so it's going to be a little bit more expensive, so financing is a big part of it. And I asked a friend of mine in Hollywood, and I said, you know, in an attempt to raise in the neighborhood of a quarter million dollars to make a film, what do you, you know, can you put me in touch, what do you recommend, or whatever. And she kind of laughed, and she was like, Kickstarter. <laughs> And I was like, "No, really? No?" She's like, "You know, Kickstarter." And I was like, "Really?" She's like, "Yeah, everyone in Hollywood's doing it." And I said, yeah, "Rob, why? Rob Zombie, <laughs> Rob Zombie, uh, Zach Braff." You know, I'm like, "But why?" You know, these these people have connections. If Zach Braff needed money for a film, how could he not get it? If Rob Zombie needed money for a film, how could he not get it? And she told me, and I didn't realize this, but the reason why is is not necessarily because they can't get the money, but so they can retain creative control.
0: Oh, okay. So what
4: happens is with you know with somebody like Rob Zombie we know Rob Zombie can get the money to make his film. We know that he has the means either for his own money or to to go to you know the studios that have put out his films, but what it comes down to is creative control when they hmm. start to put money in and they say or you know all right we'll give you this much money to make your film, but we want to see X Y and Z you're now beholden to that. If you want the money to make the film, you have to meet those demands. But it, with Kickstarter and crowdsourcing, and, you know, we were very successful with it for the first film. It allows creative control. He, you know, you get the money to make the film, but you can do it as you want. So I'm curious to see what he does with 31 and how he uses it. But you know, we may go back to that model for the second film. Hmm. You know, our, our fans for the first film were very gracious. Mm-hmm. In Kickstarter, we raised 205 percent to goal. Nice and Kickstarter, but awesome. um, you know, I I was talking to Wild Eye about it about you know potential perks. Um, if we were to run a Kickstarter for a second film, I've actually kind of did some research on perks that we could have, and they're pretty freaking awesome. So if it, <laughs> if it comes to fruition, the perks are going to be. Fantastic.
1: Well, I certainly look forward to it, Mr. Carey Hill. Uh, You better plug Uh, because I get it all the time. Tell people where to find *Scream Park One*. (laughs) The
4: the DVD is completely available to you. um, The Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart, uh, Walmart Walmart.com has it. uh, BarnesandNoble.com carries it. Target.com, Fry. Electronics carries it, and you can also rent it from iTunes, Google Play, and Verizon Fios on demand. Fantastic. So it's out there, so you yeah, can totally check it everywhere. out. If I didn't have
1: my copy, i buy it again. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I couldn't think. Honestly, there could not have been a better guest for our 100th episode. I, I know. I keep thinking um, it's been 100 yeah, episodes. Yeah, 100 episodes. And, I mean, this was really good, totally insightful. And... God, I know the whole story of Scream park 2 this is great how can you but
4: how are you gonna keep it a secret
1: oh easily easily I, I no it won't be a problem won't be a problem I don't sp- I don't believe in drink, spoilers drink till you forget right nah <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure there's one way but no I don't believe in spoilers I, I hate spoilers actually well, so I wouldn't say anything but just the fact that I know and other people may want to that's enough for me why, to keep it inside why not
4: float the idea of you know a live... Interview on set of Screen Part Two sure. for Kettle Whistle Radio at some okay. point. I, I'd love to get you out of the studio and actually on set. Oh, I mean, yeah. How wild would that be? Oh, I do it. I could bring some of the stuff
1: with me. I've done a lot of off-prem, but it's always you know my laptop and my this giant blue uh, microphone. It's it's just uh, yeah, it's a snowball. It's like this. It, oh, I have one. Of those. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. that's uh, the first time I interview. I had one. Yeah, but you get all the noise around. But yeah, I, I'd bring some of the stuff with me. I, I'm into it.
4: That'd it. be great. Yeah.
1: Let me know when it's going to start. We don't know, you know yet. I'll,
4: I'll keep you posted. But, I mean, for anybody <laughs> else that's interested, you know, Facebook. Um, Facebook yeah. and Twitter, the social media, we try to update as much as we can. Facebook.com slash Screen Park Movie. Our, our Twitter tag is at Screen Park Movie. And mm-hmm. um, is our is our page for all things Screen Park. So. And Twitter for you? Mm-hmm. My personal Twitter is at Lost Raider. Okay. Um, so you nice. can follow me. Um, I wish I were wittier. But I actually, I do write <laughs> for moviepilot.com, so I, I tend to put up articles that I've written for them, and you can find them on my Twitter.
1: Cool. We need to know that. All right, and I am at Fairly Dark. Uh, look us up. Uh, hit us up. And bands, You, heard, if you listened earlier, we want to hear some music, man. So send them to Radio at gmail.com. And as always, please... Um, you know, look up the fall of tomorrow. I gotta again try try it out. It's it's two ninety nine on Kindle. It's worth it for that. I'm
4: waiting for the pitch <laughs> okay. for the hey, let's adapt this. Nah, see, I'm not gonna do that yet.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm not there yet, man. I, I'm still growing as a writer. You know what I mean? Nine years old now. I'm in my forties. Nah, I'm not there yet. <laughs>
4: All right, you let me know. Uh, I'll let you. Know, you'll be the first.
1: Uh, our two hundredth episode. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, right? Oh God, we will both be dead. All right. <laughs> Well, thanks for tuning in, folks, friends, and fiends, and uh, Carrie Hill, thanks for coming in. Thanks for most, having me. Most insightful, fun interview, and boy, people, people can really learn a lot. We could charge for a course on this one. I mean, this was, well, I learned a lot.
4: Knowing is half the battle. Alright, good night, folks.
3: And live in a life by your own design.
2: Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success.
3: This is Unapologetically Bad.
2: An Electric Cast production.
3: See you there.
0: Electric Cast.
4: Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed.